Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Friday, January 31st, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, the gloves are off in Iowa as leading candidates bash each other. Lower polling candidates are going to be pressed in that state for their supporters to shift allegiance and exit from the race. Super PACs go to war, mostly against Sanders, and the impeachment trial may end today, or Saturday, or maybe Wednesday. It is three days until the Iowa caucuses, 11 days until New Hampshire, 32 days to Super Tuesday, and just 277 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. So far, despite swipes here and there, the campaign for the nomination as the Democratic candidate for president has been relatively pleasant. Well, the gloves now appear to be coming off with a statistical dead heat between Senator Bernie Sanders and former President Joe Biden in Iowa, while other candidates hold significant percentages. That includes Senators Elizabeth Warren and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, tied just a few percentage points behind. And let's not forget entrepreneur Andrew Yang. At the top of the race, we have Sanders and Biden sniping, with Buttigieg nipping at their heels. Biden does not want to talk about how Sanders hasn't been a registered Democrat, and he will not talk about it at length. Biden told reporters on Thursday, while stopping for ice cream in Iowa, that there were self-evident contrasts between him and other candidates in the race. He was asked for the contrast between him and Sanders. He said, I'm a Democrat. A reporter asked if he were inferring that Mr. Sanders was not a Democrat. Biden said, well, he says he's not. He's not a registered Democrat, to the best of my knowledge. Bernie has a different view. I mean, everything I've suggested to you that I want to do, I figured out how to pay for it. End of quote. Sanders' campaign manager responded, Last-minute cheap barbs of desperation aren't a good look for a candidate who proclaims his desire to unite the party. End quote. Biden has also been citing Sanders' longtime support for gun rights, not unusual for a Vermont resident, but something that chafes with current Democratic and progressive positions. Sanders has shifted away from opposing gun control laws and limitations in recent years, but remains vulnerable, having voted at times with Republicans and conservative Democrats on gun issues. He voted against the Brady gun law, but has voted in favor of background checks. The two continue to bicker about Social Security based on old statements by each, as I described a few days ago. Biden appears to indicate in years past that he favored freezes in cost of living increases and perhaps eligibility changes, while Sanders simply used terminology that is now associated with cuts, though the word adjustments seems neutral. Both candidates support changes in Social Security and Medicare withholding on higher incomes and earnings to eliminate future insolvency and potentially increase payments for lower-income workers. Judge, meanwhile, criticized both leading candidates by name. He's mostly avoided direct attacks in the past, but is under pressure to differentiate himself given his second-place tie with a much more progressive Warren in polling. He said of Biden, Vice President Biden saying that this is no time to take a risk on someone new. But history has shown us that the biggest risk we could take with a very important election coming up is to look to the same Washington playbook and recycle the same arguments. And he asserted Sanders offers an extreme approach, quote, calling for a kind of politics that says you got to go all the way here or nothing else counts, end of quote. At a campaign event, Buttigieg poked at both candidates, noting, quote, This is not the time to get caught up in reliving arguments from before. The less 2020 resembles 2016 in our party, the better, end quote. 
Warren and Klobuchar seem to have avoided this kind of conflict entirely, though, like Sanders, they have had to remain in D.C. for the impeachment trial. Because of the way the caucuses operate in Iowa, do I need to tell you again about it? Probably not, but maybe I will. Candidates with relatively small percentages of support could swing the overall statewide winner and the majority of pledged statewide delegates one way or another. So where do we think different candidate supporters will shift to in each of about 1,700 caucuses? Remember, see, I'm doing it. The Iowa Democrats rules this time of just two rounds of alignment, which are physical in nature. People cluster in a room by candidate. In the first round, viability is sought. Anybody who supports a candidate who has achieved 15% of the people in the caucus presents a card and gets to leave, and their decision cannot be changed. In the second and final alignment, all the remaining supporters of sub-15% candidates jockey to figure out where to shift. They can clump together behind one banner to pass 15% for one of their candidates, or they can throw their support behind one of the already viable ones. 538's polling averages for Iowa find support in this order statewide. Sanders 22.1%, Biden 21.5%, Buttigieg 15.5%, Warren 14.3%. That's why Buttigieg is off in the eastern part of the state for most of today through Monday to try to boost his viability in more conservative precincts. But Klobuchar, 10.1%, Steyer, 3.5%, Yang, 3.5%, Gabbard, 1.2%, and Bloomberg, 0.9%, add up to over 19% statewide. So even though each caucus will be different, there will be a significant amount of support to throw around for non-viable candidates. Andrew Yang told reporters yesterday that he wasn't going to give his supporters a specific direction, but he expected they would shift to Sanders. He said, quote, The people that support my campaign are very diverse in their leanings. I frankly think I'd have a hard time getting them to do anything that they weren't naturally inclined to do, end quote. Klobuchar has the most significant support to move around, but she is still running to pick up delegates, not to be a king or queenmaker, and has rebuffed efforts so far to make a pact with other candidates. More centrist than Warren, Klobuchar's caucus backers might move in larger numbers to Biden, particularly to offset a potential for a Sanders win in Iowa. As I noted yesterday, there are a fair number of Democrats, particularly in establishment positions, trying to prevent Sanders from achieving the nomination with the belief that he is too vulnerable and too extreme to win. Sanders supporters note that his policies are extremely popular, however, and meet left-wing Democrats' interests and cut across party lines, especially in critical swing states with lots of working-class voters. Warren will certainly be viable in a number of caucuses, and she may attempt to make common cause with Klobuchar rather than Sanders, not because of gender, but because mutual support could advance both campaigns without lending strength to the strongest competitors and could help cut out Buttigieg's ongoing viability. Polls have shown that Warren is the strongest number to pick for caucus goers who don't pick the other top three candidates, and it's plausible she could pick up enough of the substantial non-viable candidate support to pull out a surprising number of delegates. But everything, of course, remains up in the air because many Iowan Democrats remain undecided or willing to be persuaded. Maggie Astor of the New York Times tagged along with a Warren volunteer this week as he canvassed outside of Des Moines. She notes at one door, quote, We finally met an undecided caucus goer, Amanda Woodruff, 38, who runs a home daycare program and came to the door with four children crowded around her legs. I kind of like Mayor Pete, she said. I don't know a lot about Elizabeth. I don't even know if I'm going to caucus yet, so I just haven't really decided. I figure this weekend I'd try to decide, end quote. Folks, it's the beauty of democracy at this level, even as Iowa surely gets too much attention. 
And just in passing, former House member John Delaney dropped out of the race today. At various points, 28 people have been in the running for the nomination, and 11 now remain. You might be surprised to hear that former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick and Senator Michael Bennett remain in the race, despite seeing virtually no support in polls at this point. Below the top and mid-pack, we still see Yang, Hawaii House member Tulsi Gabbard, and billionaire Tom Steyer. They have had polling results above 5% in various states. Steyer and Yang will be in the next DNC debate, and it's not inconceivable that Gabbard could join them, although she doesn't seem to be working towards that end in terms of individual donations. None of that trio seems inclined to drop out even with a poor showing in Iowa, but at some point they might be willing to throw their support behind one of the leading candidates. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and, boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at TryPlexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need Home Title Lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. In unlimited campaign spending news, a super PAC that has spent $35 million in the last three years in support of President Trump has dropped ads attacking Sanders and Warren this week in Iowa and New Hampshire via cable programs and online digital distribution. A strategist for the Great America PAC told The Hill, quote, we don't think Warren is viable, but she can still spoil it for Bernie. We want to make sure that doesn't happen, end quote. The first ad attacks Warren over her association with Native American heritage. That is a long story to unpack briefly, 
but Warren has made more substantial and better efforts since a misguided attempt to use a DNA test to prove indigenous lineage, even though that DNA test didn't feature genetic material from American Indians, and that annoyed some tribes who pointed out that tribal membership isn't granted based on genetic analysis in any case. Warren later apologized for that and has been trying to build bridges. But it's still a sore point, and Great America Pack is poking at it. The ad features several people who are identified on screen by first name and the initial of their last name and a tribal name, but doesn't note if they are enrolled members of that tribe, often a major sticking point for Native Americans. Rose T. says, DNA testing finally exposed the truth, but only after the claim helped her get ahead, ahead of real Native Americans like me. The second ad shows Sanders detailing his campaign proposals for health care, a federal minimum wage, free tuition for public colleges and universities, student debt cancellation, and ending contracts with private prisons. As he speaks, dollar amounts appear on screen. I don't know, I imagine a lot more people will focus on the things he's offering and less on impossible to conceive of trillion dollar amounts. It would be funny if it were adopted as a pro-Sanders campaign ad. I noted earlier this week that a pro-Israel Democratic super PAC, seriously, try to say that a bunch of times in a row, it's really fun, was spending heavily against Sanders in Iowa starting Wednesday. The conservative club for growth also put anti-Sanders ads into rotation. Politico noted of spending so far, quote, together outsiders have dropped more than $14 million in television advertisements, radio ads, and other campaigning into the Democratic presidential race, including a pro-Biden super PAC outspending the candidate himself on ads in Iowa, a veterans group supporting Pete Buttigieg in New Hampshire, and a nurses' union backing Sanders with new advertising in the West, end quote. Of all the top candidates heading into Iowa, Warren is the only one who has received no spending on her behalf by outside groups. It's almost certain that the Senate will not hear witnesses in the impeachment trial. I'm recording this as the afternoon debate has begun in what could be the last or penultimate day of the trial. Four hours are allocated, two for each side, to arguing whether witnesses should be called. Then there will be a vote. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky appears secure as of Friday morning that he has the necessary votes. And it does seem to add up. Only Senators Mitch Romney of Utah and Susan Collins of Maine have made their intention clear to vote in favor of witnesses. Last night, Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee said in a tweet storm that he would not vote in favor of witnesses. Alexander is retiring after his term ends this year and was seen as a possible yes to support the Senate as an institution. His logic for a no vote was fascinating. He said the House impeachment managers made their case, but he doesn't believe the charges rise to a level of impeachable offenses, and he feared that conviction would lead to chaos. He said this morning, quote, for the Senate to tear up the ballots in this election and say President Trump couldn't be on it, the country probably wouldn't accept that. It would just pour gasoline on cultural fires that are burning out there. The country is not going to accept being told that they can't elect the president they want to elect in the week the election starts by a majority for a merely inappropriate telephone call or action. They are not going to buy it, and they shouldn't, end quote. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, who had previously withheld her decision, said this morning, quote, I carefully considered the need for additional witnesses and documents to cure the shortcomings of its process, but ultimately decided that I will vote against considering motions to subpoena, end quote. No other GOP senators at this juncture appear likely to vote for witnesses, leaving an almost certain 51 to 49 vote against witnesses and documents. However, if just a single GOP senator defects, this isn't an ordinary session. 
So a 50-50 vote on the motion doesn't, by its nature, lead to a defeat. The trial has the Chief Justice as its presiding officer, so Vice President Mike Pence can't simply withhold his vote. On precedent, but without explicit constitutional directives, Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. could cast a vote in favor of the motion in case of a tie. But that's a momentous thing to do, and it's unlikely he would put himself in a position that might paint him as supporting a particular point of view. So, assuming a 50-50 split not resolved by the Chief Justice, or, more likely, a 51-49 vote against the motion, GOP senators will attempt to bring the articles to a vote late on Friday, and the tally will certainly be far below the required two-thirds majority to find the president culpable on either charge. There is some suspicion right now that Romney might vote in favor of at least one of the articles, but that's just a suspicion and we have no information about other GOP senators changing allegiances. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has said he will engage in parliamentary procedures to delay the vote, which means it may be until Saturday when it occurs. But there's also a proposal afoot by GOP senators to adjourn on Friday after the witness motion then resume Monday for closing arguments, private deliberations, and a vote on articles. The New York Times suggests this could delay final action to as late as Wednesday. The Super Bowl is this Sunday, Iowa caucuses Monday, and the State of the Union on Tuesday. This could all be very awkward. Democrats, by the way, are fighting for the Senate deliberations to be public. Schumer said this morning, quote, The American people should hear what every senator thinks and why they are voting the way they are voting and we will do what we can to make sure that happens, end quote. Regardless, the trial is about to come to an end, and that will mark a new phase in the election and in domestic politics. Conceivably, Trump would now have explicit Senate permission to openly demand help on his re-election from foreign governments by using the nation's purse strings, since his behavior in Ukraine has been defended as legal and non-convictable, even if the House has decided it's impeachable. So how will this affect elections this fall? It's impossible to see how it will have an impact on Trump, but it may provide ammunition for Democrats in states with toss-up or slightly Republican-leaning projected wins for senators. Right now, the predicted map is 49 Senate seats at best for the Democrats if they win all the toss-ups. But Susan Collins' main seat is still polling at this early juncture by many analysts and polling sites as leans Republican. Depending on her specific vote and statements that come out after the trial, voters could be motivated to come out against Collins with fewer interested in supporting her given her high current unfavorability rating. That might lead to a 50-50 split in the Senate and then the issue will be the presidency and associated vice presidency. It's possible the Senate trial could provide the impetus to lead to a Democratic president and vice president, a 50-50 Senate, with a Democratic deciding vote, and the House remaining with a substantial majority. This will all play out over the next nine months. Hooray! Buckle in, folks! Let me close with some of the opening words of the Senate chaplain today. Remind our senators that they alone are accountable to you for their conduct. Lord, help them to remember that they can't ignore you and get away with it. For we always reap what we sow. And that's the election roundup for today. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter. You can find me at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F, double N-F, and F like Frank. Tune in again on Monday, the day of the Iowa caucuses. Thanks for listening. Have a happy weekend. Maybe 
watch some owls. Thank <laughs> you.